Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein, and we get to do that in the spaces of music, of sports, of comedy, of churches and pastors and authors and great testimonies and the like. It's interesting how I get connected to people today. We get to talk to Ronnie Martin, who pastors in Ashland, Ohio at Substance Church. I got familiar with him through a previous guest, Barnabas Piper, and the Happy Rant podcast. Ronnie, do we need to take a moment and kind of have a moment of silence since you guys just (laughs) ended that podcast? Broke my heart. Mm, Yeah. As a moment of silence, but yes, I appreciate you saying that. So you you guys did that for how long? Was it almost 10 years? Almost, yeah, almost a decade, probably, yeah, between nine and 10. I've listened to a number of episodes. I thought you guys, I love kind of this holy irreverence, I'll call it, that you guys mm. had towards each other and towards things in Christian culture and beyond. And Barnabas and I actually texted a little bit after one of the episodes where you guys talked about, uh, uh, you guys talked about taking apps and different things to promote your birthday and have people send you money on your birthday, which I've always found to be crazy (laughs) or what gives people access to be able to text you or not text you. What was it like to bring that thing together and start that? What was the origins of that? And then what made you guys realize like, Hey, the time is up. Let's move on to other things. Yeah, well, it's a great question. It was, it was actually started by a guy named Stephen Altrogi and Barnabas. They started it. Then they brought in Ted Cluck a little after they started it. And then about a year after it began, Stephen Altrogi, the, the founder of it, he dropped out. And they had had me come in as a guest host a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to keep it three people. So they asked me to come in on a permanent basis. So that's what I did. So it just kind of took off from there. The big idea behind it was... Could we do could we do a podcast that is largely like it's kind of a parody on Christian culture, but we're not coming at it from the standpoint of standing back from it, pointing fingers, making fun of it, thinking we're better than it. But it was from the standpoint of like, no, 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 we're in the middle of it. And why don't we just not take ourselves so seriously and make fun of some of the things while making fun of ourselves in the midst of it? Well, that was kind of the premise behind it. The other big thing about it was we did no show prep. So what you were hearing was our just our first and immediate thoughts on every topic. We didn't we didn't sort of plan what we were going to say. We would just have a a topic header and then we would say, all right, let's start recording and let's just talk about it. So it was very fresh and it was very in the moment. And then, you know, like everything else, after eight or nine years of it, I think we had just lost our energy for it. Mm. And and we, we all had time for it. It didn't take a lot of time. But I think we just lost some enthusiasm for it. We wrote a book. We were able to write a book about it about a year and a half ago, two years ago. So we did that. And we felt like we needed to do a good job promoting that, keeping it, keeping the pot alive for that. But then I think we just lost some steam. 
I think I said this to Barnabas when he was on here, maybe as a follow-up thing. I I felt like, and I mean this in a very complimentary kind of way, it almost reminded me a little bit of like the Christian culture version of of, uh, uh, Classless, the one with uh, uh, Jason Bateman and... uh, um, oh, smartless. 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 Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I always want to say classless. Smartless <laughs> with with those guys with uh, Will Arnett and uh, and uh, Jason Bateman and why am I blanking on the other guy's name? Um, yeah, Sean Sean Hayes. Yeah, Sean Hayes. Does, do do uh, you see a little connection there between yours and theirs? I, I mean, you know, I they were probably they they probably got the idea from us. I'm yes, joking, right. but um, but you know, we beat them to the punch a little bit. But I there are definitely some similarities. So. They were like this, you know, A-list celebrity version of our D-list version of what we were doing, you know, for sure. But it was same kind of thing. Like, let's just do something kind of funny where we don't take ourselves seriously. And I think we were just really surprised at how many people it, it touched over the years. Sure. People that were like, hey, it's so great. It was so refreshing. My drive to work, my commute to work on Monday morning. And, you know, you guys were a part of that. And just to be able to kind of let our, let you know, let the air out of things a little bit in a good way. So it, I think it had its place. Well, it had a little bit of a Seinfeld kind of, I thought there were some practical tools. Like when you guys were talking at one episode and maybe you did it in other episodes too, but about texting and I jokingly mm. texted Barnabas and said, okay, I'm waiting to see where I fit into this category of some guy you don't know real well, but I've interviewed you. And he kind of, I think he gave me the thumbs up or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I said, yeah, no, I know it was in sometimes. Yeah. And so it was like practical things. It was funny things. We did have episodes where we got pretty serious too. And, you know, talked about, things that affected our, our, you know, Christian culture and our faith. And so it wasn't all fun and games, but it was just, I think the beauty of it was we, we were trying to keep our fingers on the pulse of kind of what was going on in our worlds and just tried to respond to that a little bit. So it, it was, it was good times. And it seemed like you guys probably really enjoyed taking off a pastor's hat, at least for you and Barnabas. Now, Ted's more of a, a writer. And I, I first got introduced to Ted years ago when he was writing for Sports Spectrum and he did kind of this point counterpoint thing with I forgot who the other guy was but it's probably nice to take off your pastor's hat and just kind of be and have some fun and do some stuff maybe you're not doing on a uh, Sunday morning or a weekly basis as a pastor is that probably fair to say yeah no I think it was yeah to be able to kind of let our hair down a little bit I think was good I think what happened though especially you know given the last x number of years is we we felt like we had to start being a little more careful in a good way in an appropriate way but also in a way that I think was affecting the program, you know, mm. um, you know, you just become really hyper aware of, Hey, if we say this thing, it's sure. triggering. And, you know, so we got to be a little more careful. And I, again, I think appropriately more careful. We were, we we're probably a little, we we're probably a little sloppy in the early years and we gained some wisdom, but it's also the kind of thing where if you're, you know, if you're somebody who professes Christ and you're, you're trying to be very self-aware and, you know, you don't want to be a, you don't want to be inadvertently offensive. Um, there's a part of you that also has to say, well, how careful do we need to be here to where it kind of it kind of takes the the punch out of the program yeah. a little bit? And I, I think we we're feeling that way a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, appropriately, probably I keep saying appropriately because that's not necessarily bad. But we have to be careful in ways that if this was something that existed outside of our Christian bubble, we, we wouldn't have to be, you know, so th- but that's good. Right. Because we we profess Christ and we we have to have a different focus and direction with, with some of these things. But I think there, that was a little bit of a, um, 
something we we were thinking about quite a bit. Yeah. You know, I love the way you're saying that, Ronnie. I think it's kind of keeping with all things. You know, holiness is something we should all, as followers of Jesus, desire, want to see that fleshed out in our lives, see that in the people we pour into. I, I do this thing every couple of years where I get a group of people around me as individuals who I know really love me and have my back, but they get a chance to speak life into me. So I did it a couple of years ago with this one guy, I remember, and he, he was the guy in Young Life. When I got involved in Young Life, that really poured into me and invested in me for you know seven years particularly. We still keep up today, have lunch, do all that kind of good stuff. And mm. he said to me as a challenging thing, I'll never forget this. He said, uh, well, I asked him a question, something like, okay, where do I have something that I think serves me well, but really it doesn't? And he talked about, I, I like to talk a little trash with Ohio State fans. I'm from the <laughs> South. I'm an SEC guy. If you notice, I'm wearing my Vanderbilt pullover today. I'm a fan of Tennessee and all things Tennessee. And he goes, Pinky, he goes, I would hate to have you talk trash sometimes, maybe in a way that's more than what you think it is. Uh, mm. And someone's not open to the gospel because you wanted to have fun about Ohio State. And man, Holy Spirit just landed on me and said, you know, pick the right spot, have some fun. Uh, I've got a relationship with a number of guys who do have ties to their athletically speaking and whatever else. And he said, I would hate for someone not to hear the gospel because of you yeah. talking a little smack about Ohio State. I thought, yeah, that's good. I got to deal with but that. It, well, you know, the thing with the thing with humor in general is so interesting because humor is always at the expense of something or somebody, you know, and it's like, you know, you know, when I think about comedians that I love and, you know, there, there has to be a sense that you're you're almost you're you're kind of taking someone down or you're, or you're, or you're really, you know, unraveling a situation for it to be funny. You know um, it's because ridiculousness and mistakes and stupid things people say, including myself, that's what we find humorous. So there's always that line where how, you know, what is the line and what, you know, are people perceiving me as being mean spirited? Yeah. And there would be times on the rant where I think people knew we were joking, but it could also be perceived as mean spirited. And I, you know, I didn't want to come off as mean spirited. I, you know, I'm a big humor guy, you know, and I, I love all of that, but there is a line as a believer that is really, it, it can be a little, it can be a little thin, right. And, and it can be a little hard to know if you're crossing it or not. So I, I want to be careful of that, but at the same time, that's not my primary job either. Yeah. Um, was that podcast? So sure. we also didn't want it to cost us. And so it was, it was interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to me where we are. Cause I'm, I'm a big fan of humor. I love, one of my favorite things to do is taking the guys in the ministry. I, I get to bless to serve and work with, take them to comedy clubs or, you know, obviously a lot mm. of comedians go to churches or wherever it may be and just have a night, a great laughter. I think there's something sacred, and holy and brings us together about laughter. And yeah. I look at a guy like Nate Bargatze right now, who you know, just did SNL. He's mm -hmm. very self-aware He's self-deprecating without going probably too far where you're like, man, this dude just beats himself up all the time. And I think our country, our culture is longing for that. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with Nate, but if you pay attention. Yeah, I'm familiar. I love him. I love him. I mean, yeah. don't, don't you think there's something in that that it's like, I find a lot of hope in that, that where we are as a culture, hopefully embracing self-awareness, laughing at ourselves, realizing what's important and what's not. Does that kind of speak to you a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a great point. And I and I love what um I love what Nate is doing, you know. I, I think, you know, he gets tagged with the clean comedy thing. I, I think that's just who he is. I don't think he intentionally went that direction. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the, the cliche in comedy is that um, if you can do it clean and it's really funny, that's the hardest thing to do, right? Because you're not you're not using all these tactics and kind of all these like these uh, these sort of these easy methodologies to get a quick get a quick laugh. And so he's he's really brilliant at what he does, which is just this guy living what essentially looks like a very relatable and ordinary and mundane life. And he's just he's just an observational comic. He's just saying, I'm here and I'm here and I do this and I have my family and I travel here and just these things happen. And they're just funny. If you if you look at them with a with a, you know, a particular perspective, you can find humor in all these just very ordinary things. And I think he's so relatable to everybody because of that, you know. And so um, I, I love it. I, I think he's he's definitely scratching an itch. And, um, you know, and I think that's why he's finding some success, I think, in all different kinds of people groups, not just not just I think he's finding a lot of uh, alignment with evangelicals. But I don't think it's just that because he's legitimately just a funny guy, yeah. you know, he was I don't know if you watched the SNL. I, I went on YouTube. And I, just, did. I saw the monologue. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you, know, now when, you know, what's funny? I told my wife this. We're going to go see him in Columbus when he's here in January at Nationwide Arena. But he felt pretty awkward to me during the monologue. I felt like you could yeah. tell it was a comfort level he was trying to overcome, which was funny because he basically did his a lot of his stand-up thing. But when he did the uh, on the airplane, that skit I thought was – felt like something he would talk about in in a in his stand-up routine and it was kind of funny to look at it is there a doctor in a house and then uh what's his name from Foo Fighters Dave uh Grohl he Dave came Grohl, out yeah. and he yeah. goes well I'm I'm dressed for Halloween as a doctor uh <laughs> and then his skit about soul food and he was on that uh reality cooking oh, show right. and even the way he played that down like you know he's almost apologetic that he made this really good food and I thought that's Nate and there's nothing racist so about this or yeah, so so funny. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's uh I agree, you know, I think for him, you know, I you know, I saw Nate 4 years ago at a club in Cleveland with 50 people. Yeah. And there was nobody there and you know, so his his he kind of had a meteoric rise. I know he'd been I know he'd been, you know, hanging out in the clubs for a long time, but um it feels like in the last couple of years it just like it, he caught fire and he's selling out 20,000 seaters now. Yeah. But he has not changed one bit. I mean, like his routine is identical, you know, but I agree he um, that SNL thing is so significant in the life of a comic. I think he was he was probably nervous. He's wondering if what he's saying is going to land. And I thought it landed. And I mean, he got a lot of laughs. So I, I would say he I would say he crushed it. Yeah. He did great. His George Washington skit, I thought, was hilarious. and That was a highlight for me. That yeah, was the highlight. That's yeah. good. Uh, my, my wife loved it, talking about some school. Somebody texted her. I don't even know if she, they, they knew it was about you know, her or Nate or anything like that, but just said, hey, you need to watch this for back in our homeschooling <laughs> days where he's talking about some numbers and, and math yeah. and different things like that. But, uh, you know, it's funny. They did have a moment with him coming back from a commercial or going to where he had this cool-looking, not-so-Nate-looking outfit. I thought, is he trying to be Ronnie Martin or whatever? Because Ronnie's a stylish, <laughs> hip-looking guy. Maybe he's trying to be Ronnie here in New York City taping SNL. So. I think he was. I think it's safe to say that Nate Bargetti was absolutely Try to be trying Ronnie. to be Right, let me let me uh, and you can quote me on that. So let's get into your testimony, Ronnie. How did give us the three minute story of how you came to Jesus? Well, you know, it started with my parents who kind of went from who who kind of transitioned from Catholicism to Protestantism. This was in the early seventies, and I had an older brother and sister that were about ten years older than me, and my parents got sort of captured in that Jesus movement 
from the early 70s, Calvary Chapel, Southern yep. California. So when I when I watch Jesus Revolution, I mean, my parents were not hippies. They were a little too old to be hippies, but they were they were saved through that movement and through Chuck Smith and that whole thing. So that had that had a lot of connection for me, even watching that movie. And uh, I was actually baptized as a kid at Pirates Cove by Chuck wow. Smith. So there was there was a lot of that, and we ended up at Greg Laurie's church in Riverside, California. A lot of connection there, but that was their story. And uh, myself, my younger brother, my younger sister, we just we were saved through that particular movement after my parents came to know Jesus. And um, so that that's it in a nutshell, just through that whole um, that cultural just explosion that happened, um, you know, at, at, at that time in that, in those areas. So, so yeah. it's fun to ask people who were around and came to Jesus through that, whether it was in California, Florida, wherever that, cause obviously it was going on beyond just California, but California and Florida seem to be sort of epicenters. How did your parents critique that movie being more of a part and of that generation? what they think of the movie? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I I did have a short conversation with my mom about it. My my dad passed some years ago, but oh. my mom saw it, and I she I think it brought it just flooded her with nostalgia, and it I think more than anything she's older now, but it made her really miss those old days mm. because there was there was something about that time. There was such an energy. There was such a movement of the spirit. You know, at that time, it was undeniable, and um, for her to have been a part of that as deeply as she was, and then having us you know some of her kids really be changed have their lives changed through it as well years later it just shows you that, that really like the the authentic work that the spirit did in that movement do movements do they go awry do all kinds of crazy things sure. happen of course you know but i think at the heart of it it was a legitimately authentic you know movement of christ for sure and i, I think she was filled with a lot of joy watching it I, I love hearing people talk about that who experienced that more of a peer-to-peer firsthand kind of level. So give us a little ministry history for you, Ronnie, and that fervent prayer you prayed for years where you're like, Jesus, please send me to Ashland, Ohio. Talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, that was not a prayer um, (laughs) that I had ever. I came up, you know, I came up as a church kid. So I came up in that, in a, you know, a a very, very, I would say, if I can use this word, over-churched, Southern California evangelical movement of the 70s and the 80s, where our lives were just sort of lived, you know, within the confines of a, of some really large churches where that's all we did, you know, and there was a lot of good that came out of that. There were a lot of things that the Lord eventually had to unpack and unravel after I sort of, you know, transitioned in, into some more, into some, some different church movements, still evangelical, still gospel-centered, but um, just in terms of, you know, ways that he was growing and sanctifying me. So the long story short is that I got involved in the music industry very early on in my life, started making records, producing records, going on tour, was, you know, within this bubble of the, of the you know, contemporary Christian music scene. And um, so spent many years doing that. And then at some point, the Lord just kind of opened up some doors into some ministry things brought me, I would say, really reluctantly into that. And um, it ended up years later, resulting in a move, uh, a relocation to Ashland, Ohio, and then uh, into church planting, and then all kinds of other things that have come, you know, as a result of that. So it's just, I, you know, this it's a long, very windy story. And I think one of the things I love about ministry stories, and mine is, 
you know, more than anybody's or as much as anybody's. Um, it's just, it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at it, all that, you know, the people you meet, the doors that open, the doors that close, the way that the, the path, it just, it winds and it has to be the Lord because it makes no sense how I would end up where I'm at, given who I was, what my desires were, the direction I saw my life going. None of it makes any sense until you look back with a little bit of hindsight and you see how in control the Lord was and how what looks impossible to us is possible for him. But on paper, it's a mess. It doesn't doesn't make any sense, you know, without him. Oh, so, yeah, definitely look at that mosaic and we see one side and God sees another. So you've been in Ashland how long? Over 13 years now. Yeah. OK, I was going to guess a dozen. Wow. So I forgot about the music part of your life. So you did that for quite a while. What do you really miss about the music scene and being in it, you know, nose to the grind, doing it on a regular basis? And what are you like? I'm so glad I'm done with that. Well, I'm just, I'm a, you know, I'm an artist. I'm a songwriter at heart. It's my, it's, you know, it's the thing that I probably most closely identify with is, is, you know, being an artist, being a songwriter, being a creative. So I, you know, I, I, I miss just sort of the, um, and I still, I still make records. So I'm still involved with that, but it's more to the side of what I, of what I do now. But, um, but yeah, I, I think I miss just being able to devote a lot more time to it being able to be um, have that frame of mind that that a creative person has where you're 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 kind of seeing everything through that lens of how life can affect what you're creating how the events of your life the relationships of your life are they're all being poured into the art that you're making so i i miss i miss just doing that exclusively and i i did that really exclusively for many years so there's a part of me that misses that on one hand on the other hand yeah, there's probably more of it that I don't miss. I I love I love making art, writing songs, creating things. But, you know, when it comes to touring and, you know, merchandising and, you know, all the things that you do that come with that, um there's a lot of that that I absolutely don't miss. It was a very stressful time in my life for about 20 years. And so too much too much than we have time to get into right now, but yeah, I think um I I think the Lord used it in my life, he preserved me through it, um, which is something I'm really thankful for. Um, it just the music industry makes a mess of a lot of people's lives, mm. and the Lord preserved me through that. So I'm really thankful for that for sure. So we met at the TGC conference recently in Indianapolis. Did you by chance go to that breakout session with uh, City of Light? No, I missed that. So there, I don't know if you know their story at all. So they're this worship team, yeah. worship band from a church of about 100 people in Australia. And they purposely are not in the music industry full time because okay. they said they would hate the idea. And they weren't putting people down who do it, but they said of cranking out song after song after song to be able to have to do this full time because they said that's the nature of the beast. You just kind of have to. And what they do is they say it may take them a year to write a song because they're funnel mm. and going through it and making sure it's gospel sound, making sure it, it hits all these buttons they want to hit. And they said that their songs they've written, it'll take six years from start oh, to wow. finish. And I'm just okay. like, wow. Yeah. How do you do that full time in the music? I, I can't imagine you could do that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And isn't, isn't it amazing to think about a, a, a band and artists who do that and say, Hey, we want to do this because we don't want to just crank out music, write anything. And, and uh, what, what's your view in, in this point in time, 2023, how do you now maybe with your pastor hat on look at the CCM world? Cause it's going through some changes. 
Yeah, you know, it's difficult because it's so different than, you know, when when I was in it, you know, the heart of the heart of my time in it was, you know, 20 to, you know, 20 years ago, 10, 15 to 20 years ago. I was with a label called Tooth and Nail, which was really um which was this label that that began in Seattle and it really encompassed all of the all of the really more kind of artistic and extreme music that you saw come out into the market. And so I got to be part of this, this, it was, it was a bit, it was a large movement, but it was kind of a sub movement and it was kind of an anti-movement against all the Nashville bands, right? Mm. These very corporate, you know, we're, we're just making, we're writing praise music to sell millions of records. I'm not, I'm not questioning everybody's motives and that, that, so that, that came, probably came out wrong, but there was a sense where, you know, the, the, the mentality was, Hey, you can be, you can be a, a Christian and you can just, you can, you can create abstract art. You know, you can, you can do things in a way that's going to reflect Christ in all kinds of artistic ways. And it doesn't have to be bending into the market. Um, and so I, I was, I was part of a scene that was, that was really kind of thinking that way and processing that way. So that, that kind of ended and and the whole thing kind of went back to where it was rooted, which was in Nashville and these bit, you know, kind of connected to the country music industry. And um, so very much like a, a commercial machine, which we didn't have a lot to do with. And so when I look at that, I, I I'm, you know, I, I don't have a lot of connection with it. I never did. And I'm really kind of, you know, probably, you know, I'm really kind of have a have a have a distance from it now. But, you know, it's like anything else, you know. There's always been a question about Christian music. How, how Christian is Christian music? You know, and when I say how Christian is Christian music, it's almost like, you know, it it doesn't have a lot of checks and balances. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of accountability in that. So we get into some really, really, I think, gray areas when we talk about Christian music in general, and and just sort of the the, the lives of the artists that are creating the music and. So I think it gets, it's very complicated. Um, I, I think it's very complicated. There's, there's some men and women creating Christian music that are, that are, I think that are, that are doing it as unto the Lord. Um, they're also doing it in a way that's, that's allowing them to make a living at it, which I think is really good. Um, and then there's all kinds of new things I think that are kind of creeping in where we would say, well, you know, this is going to require sort of like a, a, a rethink now mm -hmm. and in what we think of, you know, I, I know everything that happened at the recent Dove Awards, some of these controversial things. So I think directionally, it's it's um it's going to cause us to have to kind of step back and go, OK, it's not really about Christian music, but we're really the, the bigger conversation is about Christianity and orthodoxy yeah. and these things that, you know, the, the historic tenets of the Christian faith. And what are we talking about when we talk about that now? Sure. You know, because it's because really Christian music, that's an industry. Um, I don't think that's the most important thing that the conversation needs to be centered around. That's but a great word going to be affected by that you know that's I'm, 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 I'm rambling a little bit now no but I, I, I like what you're saying because i think it's easy to land in a space that we think is so big but that, yeah it'd be put it'd be majoring into minors to your point i think ronnie i really appreciate that let me ask you a question let's make a hard right turn so in my yeah. day job i do a thing called the gathering in the miami valley and our tagline is connecting men to men and men to God. And you wrote an article for TGC not too long ago about relationships. And I, when I read you, you made a comment about when you moved from California to Ashland, you had a moment in a coffee shop where you thought, man, we just made a huge mistake and you were going to talk to your wife about it. 
and then some things happened and you got some relationships around you. So maybe talk about what does that look like for you uh, in this season of life, loving people, loving people well is something clearly you're about in Ashland, Ohio, relationships with guys, people you're peers with, people you pour into, people that pour into you. What does that look like? And um, maybe tie it back to that moment in that coffee shop in Ashland where you're like, well, we just made a big mistake here. Well, yeah, relationships are so difficult in ministry. You know, I I think it's probably always been the case. I think it's maybe always going to be the case. You know, ministry can be, it it can just be an incredibly lonely place. Um, And when you think about all the, um, you know, ministry is dangerous. And so a lot of pastors don't feel like they have the opportunity to be as vulnerable as they would like to be or as their soul or, you know, or as they wish their soul could be, you know, in terms of just uh, connecting with other men and women that can hear them, can understand them, um, and they can find a safe place with. And so, you know, moving, relocating from Southern California to Ashland, it was a massive culture shock. We were, we were here for years and had not made great connections, you know, with people that we felt like were, you know, kind of, uh, we were aligned with, you know, on a friendship level, on a theological level, it was just a really difficult season. And um, so it wasn't until we got invited into a local gospel coalition regional chapter in Columbus, that I that the Lord finally opened a door for me to kind of sit with men who, you know, were, were wrestling through the same things I was, who were processing some of these things in a similar way. And I was just able to be heard, and to find some people that I had some level of camaraderie with and connection with. And so that really, that changed my life. Um, and it allowed me to kind of transition from the ministry we were doing initially in Ashland to being a church planter in Ashland. And so, I, you know, I've never forgotten that. And it really, it changed the course of my life to the degree that I said, hey, I want to, I want to try to be that for other people that are lacking that that sense of friendship and connectivity um, because it's a little bit of a of an epidemic, you know, I think with um, especially given the last few years of the pandemic. And now we find ourselves in places where pastors just feel lost. They feel alone and they feel afraid to speak up about anything because it's come at such a great cost mm-hmm. over the last few years. So that that group being able to connect with even just a few pastors who some of these guys are still my friends to just my closest friends to this day. I mean, it was so crucial at that time in my, in my life, you know? So one of the things you're known for is you wrote this book about small towns and ironic coming from a guy from Southern California, but going to Ashland, you've obviously seen, discovered that or whatever. And in the book, you talk about kind of these 10 aspects uh, that are vital, you know, to pastoring in a small town. And I want to focus on two of them and ask you about these two. One's compassion. The other one's humility. So Mm. how have you, you know, obviously there's a Matthew nine thing that I think really has to come out when we look at compassion, you know, Jesus looking out, you know, over the crowds, having compassion, seeing them help, helpless, harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. How have you grown in that capacity? How do you grow in compassion in your perch in Ashland? Maybe you just go to grandpa's cheese barn and sit there and sample some cheese and eat a big old chocolate chip cookie and grow in compassion. But how, how have you grown in that recent years? Yeah, I think you just said it. That's that's what I've done. So we can just move on to the next Grandpa's question. Grandpa's cheese bar. That's it, man. Love Grandpa's. it. I try to stop there every chance I go by. <laughs> you should, because it's really good. Yeah. But um, 
No, that that it's a um, it's a sobering question that you ask. I haven't grown, I would say, swift enough in my compassion. But some of the ways that I have, it's too it's twofold. I think when I think of compassion, it's having compassion on the people that you're ministering to, um, in the sense that you are understanding that they are in a place that God is that that God is sanctifying them, working in their life. And, you know, as, as the Lord looks upon them with compassion, I want, I, I want to adopt that same compassion. And I want to look at them with those kind of eyes that just say, Hey, I don't, I don't know your story. I want to learn your story. I want to know more about you. Um, I want to know what has brought you to the place that you're in. And so that I can, that I can have just more uh, sympathy, empathy, understanding of you and your life so that I don't say things that are too fast that are attempting to fix something that only the Lord can fix. But I might have the tendency as a pastor to think that I have some hand in that or or try to, you know, accelerate the process. So I, I want to have compassion on people so that I can slow down with them. And then I think the second mm. part to that is I want to I want to have compassion on myself. Mm. You know, um, I, I want to know that I'm I'm in a similar place as they are. And the Lord the same compassion that the Lord has on me, I want to have on myself as a way to know that um, the Lord is getting me to places that I wish I was already at, but yet he's taking his time getting me there. And the things that I've dealt with and the things that I've faced, I want to remember that he is um, He is with me and he is being slow with me. Mm. He's being patient with me. I think patience is a big piece connected to compassion. So I want to have compassion on others and I want to have compassion on myself, but it has to be this fatherly compassion that we experience um, from God himself. And so th those are the two big pieces, I think, with that, that's that I'm 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 starting to get a little bit of, of growth in, I, I would hope, you know. I really like how you said that. You, you said a couple of things there that were really pivotal. The one is slowing down with people. I really like that. There's, you know, there's no doubt in my mind, I'm sure you've read the book that John Mark Comer's uh, Ruthlessly Eliminate Hurry has landed in Christian spaces where it has for reason. I feel like God, via Holy Spirit, really, in, in many ways, wrote that book. I think it's very needed in our culture. And I like the way you're saying that. And, and I just think putting yourself and other people. I mean, I can't imagine, like you said, the culture shock you referred to earlier about coming from Southern California to Ashland. I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, you say it and I hear it and I'm like, I, I don't think words could describe how crazy that had to be, not just for you, but for wife. Did you have kids at that point when you moved to Ashland? Yeah, we brought, we uh, had a 14 year old daughter. Yeah. So she, so, okay. Yeah. So, like the worst possible time to do a cross country move with, with a kid. Yeah. yeah 14 years old. So but yeah, it was, um, I, I mean, it, we had discounted the, we had discounted the effects of culture shock or even, I would say probably even believing there was such a thing as culture shock. You know, it's one of those words that it just seems theoretical until you experience it, right? Because you, you go, if you move to some, if you move someplace to do ministry, you're thinking, well, you know, I get it. People have different experiences, but at the same time, people's hearts are the same, right? And that's what we're doing. We're here to minister to people's hearts. And it's like, oh, you know, what a simple statement, you know, what an ignorant statement. Yes, in a sense, I think, you know, there is a, you know, there, there is a, there's a common connection between people's hearts and sin and, you know, uh, trauma and experiences, of course, all of those things. 
but that's being so simple about it. People get to where they're at in, in different ways based on the culture that they're in. And it's so important to understand that and to be willing to learn that. And so we were just faced with something that was, it was like literally moving to a foreign country for mm. us. We totally discounted that. And it just, I mean, you talk about shock. We were just completely kind of taken, you know, our legs were taken out from under us. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was dramatic for sure. So I said we'd leap off at compassion and humility is not far removed. So how have you grown in humility? Because there's a sense compared to where you were in Southern California, you're not going to be a big fish in a small pond there, but you can be a big fish in a small pond in Ashland. So how do you kind of battle against that and see humility elevate in your life, Ronnie? Well, you know, the, the sad but beautiful thing is that God just, he starts, he starts leveling out your life, you know, um, he starts taking things away. Um, he starts allowing you to go through incredibly difficult, sometimes tragic things. And, um, and that's just how he, that's part of his process to make us people that reflect Christ. And so we've had just a series of things happened in the last 13 years that have just done that. You know, I think the problem is that I'm not a very humble person, you know? And so the Lord repeatedly has done things where he has just pulled the rug out from under us and where we've just fallen on our faces in all of these different areas. And even today, you know, even as you ask that question, you know, it, it's hard to not be emotional about it because I think about some things that we've lost that are we're not going to get back. We think about relationships that have been lost that seem impossible to ever, uh, that that will probably never recover. We think about just all these events and these situations that just collapsed, went into ruin, you know, since our time here that, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's part of what the Lord allows so that we become people that are desperate so that we become people that are needy, so that we become people that don't think we got it. You know, that that popular line that we like to throw out there a lot, which I understand why we use it, and it, it's good, and it can be encouraging. You know, people you know, people come to me, and they'll say, oh, you got this, Ronnie. And it's, well, the reality is, yeah. the reality is I don't have anything. Um, the reality is the Christian life is not you got this, but you don't got this, yeah. actually. And that's why that, that leads us into deeper dependence, uh, you know, on the Lord. And that's, that is the humbling that is th th that that's the humbling process of our life is that we get to a place where we wake up in the mornings and we go oh i don't got this and i need you lord so would you please go before me today and that is the broken but beautiful place you know that the lord brings us to and he just continues to bring us there so that's a little bit of what some you know without getting into all the details because we don't have time but that's a little bit of what the lord has has done and is still doing so speak to that, maybe a couple things, as much as you feel comfortable and go a certain direction there, because you, you hit on, I'm guessing there's multiple, multiple things you could talk about with you and Melissa, where maybe you've walked through something, whether it's hurt in relationships, stuff with church, you know, whatever it may be, where you feel like God's given you some insight behind the curtain scene on how you can minister to other people in your church, outside of your church, through some specific difficult circumstances. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes things sometimes things collapse in such a way that you 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 don't like you lose your imagination in the process. You don't know how God is going to repair something that has been broken to the degree that it has. 
gosh, seven years into our church plant, you know, we went through a church split mm. and um, just a very unhealthy individual that was part of our pastoral staff just caused like a massive riff in our congregation and it caused a church split. And it's one of those moments where you're, you're standing back and you, you think about hearing about these situations happening in all of these other churches with all of these other pastors. Oh. And it feels theoretical and you can't even imagine going through something like that. Right. And then you go through something <sighs> like that and you're just, you're sort of left in all of the, the rubble, you know, um, you, you look around, everything looks like it's burning down you know, all the buildings have collapsed and it's like kind of like the aftermath of an earthquake. And you just think, how is this going to ever be rebuilt? Like, God, what are you going to do with this? You know, these are, these are, you know, you're looking at all these leadership failures and you think, how can I ever re-emerge from this? Are people ever going to trust us? Are people going to follow us? And then here we are years later and you look and you see the way the Lord has slowly done this rebuilding process first in you but then in other people and within the life of the church and you think oh so the the lord is working the lord has done a work the lord has humbled us and it just you're reminded that this is his thing this is mm. his church and you be able to you're you're able to see the way the lord redeems just the most um ruinous situations in your life and you come out of it the other side, not as somebody who is triumphant and victorious, but somebody who is just broken and somebody who is like, I don't know what the Lord was doing with all that. I don't know what he's doing today, yeah. but I know he's doing something. I always like to say it like this. I don't know what, but I know who, and the who is vastly more important I know what. than the what. Wow. That's good. It's funny. I, I swore up and down you and I would not miss the rapid five, but we've gotten into such deep waters. I don't want, I don't want to get out to go deal with humor because we covered that plenty. And Nate Bargatze got a lot of love from us early on, but you guys, you guys just walked through a difficult situation as a broader community. We talked about it before we got on here about this girl who's up for homecoming court at Mapleton high school. And she died as she's going up to be honored on homecoming court where have you, where has the brokenness and beauty met in your broader community in ashland and up to mapleton is what you've witnessed since that happened because obviously i could tell as you and i talked about it you could tell it hit close enough to home to you people in your church and broader community where have you seen brokenness and beauty meet in that that's a great question i think one of the great things is you know we're in a small town we're in a town of about 20 25,000 people and there's 140 churches represented in our county, a lot of churches, given how few people are here. And, and, and there's a, a lot of denominations. So a lot of people with different traditions and religious persuasions. And yet when a tragedy happens, you see everybody come together and everybody kind of sets those things down. And, every, you know, so many different people had a connection with this um, young woman that passed away and people from our church, people from other churches. And there's just there's this sense of unity where people come together. People are being, um, you know, compassionate and empathetic. People are saying, hey, how can I help? Uh, how can I come alongside of you? How were you affected by this? And so you you just see this uh, this reflection of Christ start to permeate the community because everybody everybody feels like they're a part of this tragedy, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and and everybody wants to sort of step in 
use their resources in, in any way they can to help alleviate some of the pain. So it's one of those moments in a small town setting where you see the beauty of community crystallize. Wow. Yeah, I, I told you, I heard about it at chapel at Grace College where my son goes to school mm. uh, a few weeks ago. And I, I, I kind of lost sight of what was going on at chapel that day. I just looked it up. I read a few articles later and we were touched probably a couple of weeks before that, maybe a little bit longer ago than that at the beginning of the school year. We had a school bus crash here in Springfield that made mm. national news and there was a student who died in elementary school. And I went to a prayer vigil. I did Young Life at that school years ago mm. and just watched kids ministering to kids and kids ministering to adults and te I mean, and it was like, man, you, you hate to go through this and it's terrible for our community, but the beauty and what you see, just all I got to really see was that prayer vigil. But I thought, wow, what a powerful, powerful yeah. thing. Well, Ronnie, I did not expect this to go as deep as we did into some stuff. I really appreciate your heart. I appreciate the pace at which I think you must be living your life as you've referred to the word slow several times. And it doesn't sound like preacher speak. It sounds like it's legit who you are and um how can people find out more about you with books obviously amazon and find you out there on the social aspects to because i'm hoping some pastors maybe hear this who are dealing with some small town church stuff some of the things you talked about and you and small town uh, ministry can be a resource yeah and, and i would just encourage anybody listening that would love somebody to talk to that's in a similar context you know re reach out give me a holler love to love to get a phone call or something on the books with you yeah, you can, you can uh, just, all, I'm on all the social platforms. So, you know, reach out on, on threads, Instagram, X, uh, Facebook, and then RonnieMartin.org is uh, my website. You can, you can get a look at all the music and the books and all that stuff on there. And so pretty simple. All right. Well, let's be praying for Ronnie and I appreciate the conversation. If it was good for nobody else, but me, it was really good for me. So thanks brother. Blessings. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.